0: This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. Suzanne Cease has worked with a lot of photographers. In her role as a senior art buyer for ad agencies, she hired some of the best talents in the photographic world while working with clients including Seiko and Wrangler. Those years taught her the ins and outs of how the advertising world works, And it's something that she now shares with photographers as a consultant. Whether it was an advertising client or a photographer, Suzanne's goal has always been to provide solutions and to be of service. It's what drives much of her work today, especially as she collaborates with photographers. When entering an industry where you can feel that opportunities are shrinking while competition is only growing, the photographer has to rely on more than his or her talents behind the camera. As Susan explains, it's a photographer's ability to convey their strengths as a problem solver that makes the difference between getting the job or not.
1: I think that when you have you know exact examples of problems and how you worked, but also how you collaborate I think that's really important too. Um, a lot of uh, photographers, I've been um, been on the creative call when it comes to being up against certain people, and it's how that photographer, you know, were a part of that creative call, not about you know, oh, you'll find that out on set, oh, you'll find that out on set, because they they get the thought that someone's going to steal their ideas on how they're going to execute it, but. In actuality, that creative call is about how you're going to execute it.
0: Her passion for the personal project is clearly in evidence if you've read her regular column, The Art of the Personal Project, in the popular blog of Photo Editor. There she showcases the work of photographers who have taken a personal project that demonstrates how they use their skills and talents to produce work that means something to them. Yet she often sees people make a mistake with the very work that can make all the difference in their career.
1: It's really shocking to me how many people don't do personal projects or they'll lump all their personal projects into one gallery called personal projects. So Defeats being a story, it's just five shots of this, two shots of this. No, that's not a project. A project is having an artist statement and having a story that is personal to you as who you are as a person that then shows me what kind of person you are. And that's the beauty of doing this project um, with the, you know, the art of the personal project on a photo editor is because I love seeing people's projects that really mean something. You know, they really, they have not just really for I think an art buyer, art producer, an art director or creative director it really shows them what kind of person they are
0: we'll talk to susan about how to create and sustain relationships with clients and define what branding is and isn't and later i'll talk to you about why waiting for inspiration never helped me to become a better photographer welcome to the candid frame All right, Suzanne, welcome to The Candid Frame. I'm really pleased to have you on the show. Um, I, I talk primarily to photographers about their work and their careers, and one of the things I, I felt like I wanted to do more of was to talk to people who have experience on the other side of the desk. Because I think there's a lot of misinformation and a lot of ignorance out there in terms of how people who want to make a living from their photography actually engage and have relationships with you know uh, art buyers and you've had a lot of experience uh, in that in your in your industry in the advertising industry and now as a consultant to photographers so i thought you know i couldn't think of a better person to sit down and have this this discussion with. Just briefly, for people who may not be familiar with, uh, with you, why don't you give us a little background in terms of your, your career?
1: Okay, yes. First of all, thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate it because I love helping photographers in any way that I can, especially in this crazy world of marketing that we live in. I basically started in advertising at a small agency in Baltimore where I had to be a jack of all trades. And it was really great because I got to do print production, which is showing you how the printed photography ends up and its final results, but also got to be a art buyer for the photography as well. I left Baltimore to move back down to Richmond where I went to college and I got a job at the Martin Agency. There I worked in budget control where I got to see the cost of everything that was involved in doing a print ad or print materials. So that was really good foundation for that. They were establishing the art buying department and asked that I, if I was interested in being the art buyer. So instead of them asking me questions, I decided I would hijack the interview. And I built a case on why I was right for the job and all the things that I could offer from my life to be a better art buyer. So I established that department in 1988 and was there till 1999. It was before we had computers and towards you know, many years before I left, we started getting computers, and we had to do our—we were able to do our marketing and be approached by photographers and agents uh, through the computer. But so, it's really important to realize what we did prior to computers. After I left the Martin agency, I became a consultant, and in the same time that I was consulting. I was also able to do satellite art buying for Kaplan Thaler up in New York City, who's now a part of Publicis. They didn't have an art buyer. They didn't want to bring someone on staff. So I was able to do it in a satellite capacity, especially with New York ad agencies. They're so large that a lot of times you never even meet the people you work with. So I did that for quite some time, and then I realized that that was a little bit harder with having small children. So I brought in Amy Frith, who worked for for that division, and then they actually then established a division in art buying up there. I also was able to work with some small ad agencies here, so that gave me a taste of working with smaller budgets and really being, you know, kind of having to think out of the box to make uh, images work and projects work. I also worked as a contractor for Capital One from 1999 to about 2006. So that gave me the in-house corporate advantage of seeing how photographers worked in the in-house corporate world. Did a little bit of work for Best Buy and also for Target. So that was really great too in a satellite capacity. So then I just basically about 2006, just really focused just on consulting and I loved it. I still love it. I love constantly educating myself on how the business has changed because I think it has changed so much, not just in the images, but in the mediums in which the images are shown.
0: You just talked about how, you know, how you sort of defined your interview by expressing why You are the best person for the job, which is exactly what most photographers need to do in in order to differentiate themselves from the hundreds, if not thousands of photographers they're competing with. And one of the things that we wanted to talk about today was this idea that as advantageous Uh, As technology is, a lot of photographers hide behind it and forget that that it's really about the relationships that you build with the people that you want to work for and with over the span of your, your career. So talk to me about how in your years of experience you feel that photographers are losing sight, that it is ultimately about relationships and not the mediums that people are using today in order to get jacked in.
1: You know, years ago, it, most uh, clients were not on set. A lot of times the account executives were not in, on set. And more and more clients, um, as you see in, in all the trades, Ad Week or Ad eight, Business Insider, clients are a jumping ship like there's no tomorrow. And it's because of a lot of what happens in the production, whether it's broadcast or whether it's print. And so that onus of print really really falls on the photographer. What kind of experience do they create when it's all the elements on set, meaning the art director, the art producer, the account executive, the client, but also the crew and the talent. And all those elements are so important to the mix to make a great collaboration between all the elements. And the photographer, when they're talking to prospective buyers, that's where they can sell themselves. That when they're on set, it, they know how to make it sail smoothly, that they work if it's a big production, that they work with producers who are so great in seeing the problem before the problem happens. Uh, Or if they don't have a producer, that they're very good to see the problem before the problem happens. Those relationships I see are happening as more and more important because that's what's allowing repeat business for a photographer. The large agencies are known not really to have a lot of repeats unless it's a really well-known name. So I always direct my clients to hit the more smaller agencies or the in-house corporate. They're much more loyal in giving you repeat business that wasn't you know, it used to be agencies more, were somewhat loyal, but they they really aren't as much anymore. Unless you have a big, big name, because they really want that PR factor. So, for a photographer, I they hate for when sometimes some of them hate when I say it, but they're in sales. Mm-hmm. They're in sales to sell not only what they can produce, not only how it will produce, but how the collaboration of working with all the people in the whole mix all work together and that's what they can sell when they're talking to a a prospective client is how they can be a part of making the end result shine versus being a nightmare and that also goes into what we were talking about is is later in the brand of the person and what they're known for
0: it, it seems like there are two different facets that we're talking about. One of them is sort of the latter. It's once you've had the connection and you have the job opportunity, creating an experience that the, that the, the art buyer or the producer uh, enjoys so much that they want to work with you again. But the other part of it is, is being able to make that initial connection where you're able to convince someone to give you that first, that first job opportunity.
1: And you convince them from prior examples of what you have done for prior clients. So basically, you are in sales on if you have the chance again, you don't want to hijack the conversation with a potential buyer, but you want to maybe give them examples on things that may have gone wrong and how you fix them. So you show that person how you're going to make them look good and you're going to make their client look good. So it's it's using previous experiences to then create new relationships when you get in front of new people.
0: So what's the most important? Because besides, say, the quality of work, let's say that the, the photographers that are being considered in terms of the quality of the images, they're on par, right? But you're sitting mm-hmm. there in front of the client trying to convince them. Is it partly one of the things that you have to do is sort of express how good of a problem solver you are? Like, for example, pointing out some of the challenges that you faced in those previous shoots and how you came up with a solution. Is that a way of sort of leveraging that experience?
1: Yes, it is, because I think that when you have you know exact examples of problems and how you worked, but also how you collaborate, I think that's really important too. A lot of uh, photographers, I've been been on the creative call when it comes to being up against certain people and it's how that photographer, you know, were part of that creative call, not about, you know, oh, you'll find that out on set. Oh, you'll find that out on set Mm -hmm. because they, they get the thought that someone's going to steal their ideas on how they're going to execute it. But in actuality, that creative call is about how you're going to execute it.
0: Because that call is really about reassuring the client.
1: Right. And that's actually when you're up against and you're in the actual bid process. But you have to also use that that collaboration and that ability to, you know, show them why you're great to even be considered for that. And that becomes in a face-to-face or it also, be, if you don't feel like you can get face-to-faces, which they are hard to get, but there are certain ways to get them, uh, it's creating the behind-the-scenes videos, and you can actually, in a beso- behind-the-scenes video, kind of actually show that. You can show maybe have fun with it and show, you know, a, a reel of bloopers of mistakes that were happening and how you solved them quickly and how, what the end result was. You know, the crying kid and, you know, get that kid off set, bring the happy one in. How do you make them unhappy? You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like saving the day because there are so, there's so much money involved in that production and, you know you don't get a second chance you know so it's really you know again i guess if you can't get the face-to-face to to explain that then create a reel that shows how you how you do create that
0: So, so how does it work nowadays i mean you say for example you're you're solicited to submit a bid for for a job by an advertising agency you get your bid in and then they want to have that creative call does that happen over the phone does it happen over skype what what do they what do they look and feel like
1: well, the majority of the time, you know, it's, it's over the phone unless they really, you know, usually it's several people on the call. But sometimes it is just you and the art director. So it's really, you know, what you have in that call to, you know, it's really quick thinking. It's, it's I guess the best way to describe that phone call is an example of when I was working with Capital One and it was on their annual report. And, you know, a lot of times you do have the ringer. I have to be honest. You do know Mm -hmm. who you think you're going to use. So uh, my art director slash creative director, he thought he was going to go with the ringer. But the ringer, when he called, said, oh, you'll see about. I know how to do that. I've been doing that for years. You'll see how I do it on set. You know, that's second nature to me. You'll, You'll see how I do it on set. Now, don't even worry about that. I've got it covered. Well, the non ringer kept, oh, wait, wait, wait. I got some of my files. Here, let me email this to you. Boom, this is how we did this, and this is how we got it, and it really worked out great. And then they'd continue talking, and they would talk about something else, because this, this was a, an annual report that had a lot of props. Boom, here's another example. This is how we created this telephone booth when they don't have telephone booths anymore to really create it and really bring it home, and everybody was so happy, and it was so much fun. But, you know, and he, gets, he was engaging in the art director, creative director's problems, and he was engaging in actual solutions instead of saying, "Oh, I've done that in the past." He was showing, "Hey, this is what I've done. This is how I can, how I can do this." And so that he stole that job from the ringer. The interesting part about that story is while that. Capital One doesn't do those elaborate annual reports anymore. Still to this day, that photographer every year photographs the chairman of Capital One because he was such an engaging person that the chairman asked for him back every single year. Mm -hmm. And it has a nice fee attached to it. And that's been going on for
0: 12 years. Some of the most successful photographers that I know have told me this over and over again, this idea that you have to remember that the people behind the desks is that they're oftentimes behind the desk, in the computers, in an office building, and it's rare that they have the opportunity to get out and be in a shoot and really sort of engage in the creative process. And mm-hmm. if they find someone who is going to provide them that even for a short period of time, they'll gravitate towards that, to that person, not just once, but repeatedly, just because mm-hmm. it provides them not only a reliable source for producing whatever product or service they need, but it creates a just a good working experience for them. And then that can't be undervalued.
1: No, it can't be. And it also, uh, and many times it becomes a relationship. I mean, I've seen many times where, Going back to that example I showed you with Capital One, well, that photographer really related to that creative director and they went on a motorcycle ride going from like Sturges to like New Orleans or something, you know, and Mm -hmm. and engaged a friendship and because it's just i mean that's what this business is it's not like an accounting job where you know you're going to you know become friends with the auditor you know it's it's we're in a creative business we like to be creative we're creative people we like music we like movies we like books we like art we you know so you engage and that's you know what separates the people who are getting the repeat business from those who might not even get the first chance
0: yeah and one of the and I think it starts all the way from the very beginning because say you go to a portfolio review or you have an opportunity to have your work reviewed by an art buyer or an art director of some sort that some photographers have those initial encounters and then drop the ball and don't follow up with. With that, And I know that's a big issue for you. It's but talk, a huge issue. Talk about, why, why is that?
1: I don't know. I mean, I remember when I was at Martin and, you know, I was so busy and people would beg to come in and they would, you know, be out of town. And I would, you know, I was busy, but I would take half an hour or whatnot to, to talk with them, engage with them. You know, I, my best example was this guy from Ohio and I couldn't even tell you, you know, who he was because after he came to see us, who I thought was a great guy, I wanted to hire for a bank one job that we had to do in Ohio and he never he never kept in touch with me so he lost a job mm. solely because he came in had a meeting with me and thought that it was my responsibility to remember who he is with these portfolio reviews I constantly tell my clients do something that makes you stand out if you're you know I had one of my clients to create you know these people are sitting in these you know, what I call speed dating and you know your date is sitting in this space and, and the, the suitor comes up every 20 minutes to show you their wares and that being the photographer Well, how do you make yourself stand out and it's engage in the person who's being stuck sitting there for in 20 minute cycles for hours give them something to drink that's from your hometown give them a treat and some trinket that's from your hometown as well as your your business card make them remember you Mm -hmm. do something different that that separates you from the other people that are there you know it's you know, when it's, I guess a best way to describe it, I hate saying it's like speed dating, but it is. So when you're in, you know, I've never speed dated, but, but when you're in a group situation, even like a party who stands out, it's the one that engages and adds something personal and isn't just for better words, vanilla, you know, they're just, blah, you know, they, they add something and they, that person remembers them. And so, caring about them that they're sitting in this this space for a couple hours with a normal bottle of water but you bring them um let's say she brought uh uh, Izzy's because they were from her that was manufactured in her hometown and the person was like oh my god I love these thanks so much and she also made sure it was cold and it, it it start you know you it's that little those little things that Get remembered. You know, that's how you can take those portfolio reviews and make something special.
0: And and the follow up afterwards, you know, in terms of, you know, not just the email saying thank you. Well, first off, that's one of my bugaboos, right? The fact that people don't send just a courtesy email just saying thank you. You know, that goes a long way.
1: Well, that does go a long way. But you know what goes a longer way? The handwritten thank you note.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: And I remember when I was doing something where we were videotaping creative folks and someone at Martin was really kind to help a lot, you know, get us a room where we could interview and interview several Martin people that I had worked with when I was there. And we literally wrote the thank you note as we left, all signed it. Put a uh, coffee card for the next door coffee shop that was right there. Put it in the mail, so she got it the next day. It spoke volumes, and it's just such a simple thing to do. And it's that's where we, I say, we get caught up being behind this digital monitor, and we forget to be humans. Yeah. And you know that gets into marketing and how you even get in front of the people and so often hopefully there's gonna be an article tomorrow in in a photo editor and it's stop start marketing to them and not about making it about them and not about you and you should read the trades because that's what people did before we had computers they would read ad week, they would read ad age, and I would get the phone call and say, I hear you just got Mercedes, congratulations, can I send you my, my roster's car books? I'm like, yes, please, I, You know, this is a new account for us, You know, and so I would get, this is back when you had portfolios, we would get tons of portfolios, and those people got considered for tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of car photography because we were the new client of record. We wanted to do something different. That's why the client came to us. So Martin would do something different with Mercedes. Same thing with Saab. Same thing with Remy Martin Cognac. We never had a, a, a spirits account before. So who's really great in doing pours and splashes? You know, read when you see these accounts go to certain agencies, congratulate them. And don't make it about you. Oh, I'm, I'm you know, you, you can maybe lightly list. I'm I great with spores and splashes but make it really more about congratulations on winning this account. Super. Now to, to back that up, you have to also read it because some accounts become agency of record but most of the time in today's market it becomes assignment. So an example is Heat just got an assignment from Levi's to market Levi's to the millennial market. So if you really read the article and you get exactly to what is the, what they got, mm-hmm. congratulations on this assignment to the millennial market. This sounds like fun. They it shows you did your research, not grab the headline and went with
0: Oh it. yeah. And one of the things, the other important things to to realize is that, You know, when you make that initial contact, why it's so important to sort of periodically sort of check in, sharing what you're doing, because from that initial point of contact, it can be a long time before an opportunity comes. Like I know when I was working as an editor and outdoor photographer, um, there was a photographer out of Poland living in England whose work I really loved. And I just kept up with him just because I, I just loved his work. And then one day we wanted to do a spread on India, but we wanted to emphasize Northern India rather than Southern India, where the great majority of photographers were. Right. I knew this photographer and I knew he had photographed there. So even before the meeting was over, I said, I know the perfect guy. It was five years from initially finding his work to finally giving him what I think was an eight page, eight page spread in the magazine, which was his first publication in the United States.
1: But you also, it's because he engaged with you beyond what he did in the UK. He engaged with mm-hmm. you, his experiences in life, in that he had gone to, you know, northern India and really loved the place, loved the people, loved the experience. That That's what stuck in your head because it wasn't about him as a photographer. It was him as a person.
0: Right. So let's talk about the role of the personal projects in terms of maintaining this engagement, not just, oh, you know, sending an email and saying, I'm still here. I hope you consider me for a job.
1: Yeah, that's two part. One, if you don't, you know, there's two parts in keeping on on the radar of someone that you, you engaged in. Uh, one is kind of understanding what their likes and dislikes are, um, and maybe you know, going and getting you know, make make an Excel thing or make something an address book that you know you know lets you put down their likes and, and dislikes. Also, hey, I know you like you're really into yoga. Well, I I photographed this great retreat that is doing. Something unique and different. I thought you'd like to see it. Boom, you send it. So now you've, you're not talking about you, you're kind of talking about them, but you're still showing them what you did. Mm. So it's, it's that, or I remember when I was in, or let's see, I know when we were on set, I, I know you liked a certain kind of cooking so I saw this show and this guy was doing it. So I went and I found the restaurant and where he works. And I thought you might be interested in it. Boom. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it's, it's really that kind of engaging. Or it could be, oh, I know you like this kind of cooking and I just happened to do a photo shoot with it here. Boom. You know, so, so that's, you know, one thing. But also with the personal projects, it's amazing to me. Because I don't take submissions sent to me, I actually go out and look, and I'll pick names that I, you know, from Facebook, or I'll just kind of go off and, and find different names that I, I've known of about And it's really shocking to me how many people don't do personal projects or they'll lump all their personal projects into one gallery called personal projects. So defeats being a story, it's just five shots of this, two shots of this. No, that's not a project. A project is having an artist statement and having a story that is personal to you as who you are as a person Mm -hmm. that then shows me what kind of person you are. And that's the beauty of doing this project um, with the, you know, the art of the personal project on a photo editor is because I love seeing people's projects that really mean something. You know, they really, they have and that just really for, I think, an art buyer, art producer, an art director, or creative director, it really shows Them, what kind of person they are, you know, when they're sitting there doing a job, a good example, here's a story of someone who had gone to a homeless shelter and was taking photos of people. But the idea was that he would come back and give prints to the people that he took the photos of. And he was very good about making sure that he had cardboard and plastic to put the photo in because homeless people usually, if they have a shopping cart, they're lucky, but the majority of the time their stuff is put in one backpack or in, in a satchel that they carry. Um, I had created homeless bags and it was interesting how they would go through the bag, what they could carry and what they wanted versus here, take the rest. But this guy, these people never really had a beautiful photo of themselves because everyone looked through them on the streets. And the photos that he created and then gave to these people, they treasured them in that small satchel or backpack of their only belongings in this world. And to me, that shows me what kind of person that person is. So that's where your personal project can really be so much more than just a personal project. It can really, I think, create not just conversations, but also create value.
0: Yeah, because I think that too many photographers, especially over the last five or 10 years, have been fixated on this idea of brand. And they think about their logo, they think about the design of their cards, their website, to the exclusion of almost everything else. But lose sight that it's, it's more than just a design aesthetic, as it is as much about who you are as a photographer, what you are personally sort of bringing to the table, and I know that you help photographers a lot with those with those things in terms of creating a uniform visual identity online and in their collateral material. But you know, I, I think it's it's really important to think that the personal project is an extension of all of that because that's what cement your identity.
1: It truly is, but everything that's where photographers lose what is a brand? because a brand is not a logo. a brand is not your website. A brand is not just about your images. a brand is you. and a good example is gosh I, you know I, for some reason Levi's was coming in my head you think about how the brand of Levi's is you know comfortable denim it's it's the, the tag in the back that we, we always saw with, you know, would have your waist and your inseam on it. It's about how you felt with them, things you did with them. You know, you look at old you know, shots of, in Woodstock and they have Levi's on. You know, it's a brand is all about not just the material object of you as your logo, your website, but it's the experiences of what you are. It's the experience Mm -hmm. of who you are. And those experiences come in, again, your personal projects, because that's when you took your personal time that you wanted to use your talents to do something good in this world or use your talents to see something that other people thought were ugly, that you felt were beautiful. And then you, the kind of person that you are, that's all about your brand, because I, I know that. Years ago, many photographers, and again, you know, Kat Dallager and I kind of chuckle about this as photographers who had attitudes on set, and a lot of those folks aren't working anymore, and it's because they forgot that their attitude on set was their brand, and that became not just their beautiful work, but it became they're going to be a pain in the ass on set. They're going to be... They treat the account executive and also treat the client like their suits. That's the best way to describe how they think of them. And I remember being on this on sat with a photographer and at one point my art director turned to me and she said, what is his problem? (laughs) And I went to the producer and I said, what is his problem? And I had, you know, my client, we're all in an RV traveling around New York City and he wouldn't even talk to my client. And I'm thinking, you just missed a golden opportunity because this person was the marketing manager for all this again this was years ago a marketing manager for a large corporation that had brick and mortar retail all across the country all across the world she's never going to use you on a project because you didn't care who she was and that was his brand and that photographer is not working today and no matter you know it's they don't realize how important it's not just about a beautiful logo. It's not just about beautiful images. It's not just about the great food that you, you served on set. It's not just about the great end result on, you know, the final finish. It was how, what did it take to get to that end result in that final finish? Can you sometimes, okay, okay, great. The guy is so brilliant and so fabulous. Okay we'll go into it telling the client this person's a real jerk so if you can deal with it we'll use them i literally have told our directors that many times okay like, hey, you want to use them but here's here's the here's the what you're up against are you are you willing to deal with this oh yes yeah but then you know it's like so so it becomes If you look at a lot of really well-known names, I mean, I'm talking people that that are in the award show books, and you have to say, okay, is it worth it? And considering that the majority of those people are not working anymore, I'm going to say it wasn't. Yeah.
0: Beginning on December 6th, there is going to be an amazing gathering of photographers in Miami, Florida. The Miami Street Photography Festival celebrates the magic of street photography by bringing work and talent from all over the world. Great photographers, including Constantine Manos, Maggie Stieber, Stella Johnson, Nick Turpin and others, are going to be in attendance, conducting workshops and presentations. As well, an exhibition of some of the world's best street photography will be on display. You'll also be able to join in on photo walks exploring the different neighborhoods that define this great city. I had the pleasure of attending the event last year for the very first time, and I encourage you to attend. Many of the public events are absolutely free and shouldn't be missed. There are also several paid workshops that are being offered during the week, and spots are still available for some, including my own. You can find out more by visiting Miami Street Photography Festival. dot org. I hope to see some of you there. Talk talk to me about the importance of you know the smaller agencies because you know, everyone wants to work for Nike or Coke or. You know, Adidas yeah. or whatever that, that, that is. But, you know, you often suggest people look at the smaller agencies, especially agencies that are outside of whatever sort of city or region a photographer is in. Yeah. Tell us, why is that important?
1: Well, I mean, I, I can come fully from being that agency, being the agency in Richmond, Virginia. You know, I, I was just thinking about this story earlier. We were a small agency, but we were doing absolutely creative work I mean the work that we were doing I'm so proud to be a part of it and there was a young photographer in Raleigh North Carolina who McKinney Silver was doing the exact same creative work I mean just some of the stuff you just it was so brilliant I mean just so brilliant and the photographer I mean the the fees We're not bad. If you look at today's fees, the fees are really good. But, you know, if you look at, you know, but what happened was this photographer, his name was Jim Erickson. Everyone knows the name Jim Erickson. And Jim was always game to take our projects and make them fantastic. And even though they were smaller accounts and, and the fees weren't all there, they were great jobs. They were great ads. They were award winning ads. And so this Raleigh Raleigh, uh, North Carolina photographer was able to become an international brand. So don't look at that, you know, going around that Ferris wheel or merry-go-round trying to get that brass ring when sometimes the other rings are just as important because sometimes that's the stepping stone to get to be that international talent. And the reality is, is that small agency as we were years ago, the Martin Agency and McKinney Silver, we were loyal. And the larger agencies, a lot of times are not, not that they're not loyal people, but they'd like to use a lot of different people. They don't usually go back and back and back and back when the concept continues to change. Mm-hmm. The concept continue to have unique challenges. They only go after the big name that's known for that one challenge, able to execute that concept, execute that challenge. Whereas the smaller agencies sometimes really give a lot of leverage to that photographer to be able to conquer those challenges, those concepts on multiple different products.
0: Yeah, because those bigger clients, you know, the photographer has to realize that it's their job and their reputation is on the line. So they're less yes. willing to take a bunch of risks. Despite how enthusiastic you may be about your idea, you have to realize that there are real world consequences for the people that are hiring. And that's why they're less likely to, you know, go to, to say, the edges.
1: Well, I mean, you know, one of the things, again, in my, my research that I do, I mean, you look at just yesterday, Crunch Fitness had aligned with a Kentucky-based, I think, I hope I'm getting this right, aligned with a Kentucky-based agency as being their agency of record. Well, just yesterday, it was announced that they are now going to do their work with Strawberry Frog, and there was no creative review. Well, imagine what the agency in Kentucky, thinking that they are the account, account of record, how they feel. When guess what? No, it's gone. Mm. Good example on that, too, is the Richards Group in Dallas in about a two year span. They had Chick-fil-A for years without a client reviewing, without even they they knowing it, Chick-fil-A left. Same with Incredible Edibles. They left Richards Group as well. So the clients, you have to really make them happy because I don't know what happened. It could be that a new marketing manager came into that inha- into that client and they had worked with someone else, another agency, before they went on to the client side and they liked their agency better. Mm-hmm. You never know the political side behind it. But I can say, if your agency is known as having problems when you're producing stuff, the client's going to say it's not worth it. And they, jumped sh- they could jump ship. So, so many different variables go into... Those big accounts and making sure that the client doesn't jump ship yeah. so many variables and it can come up with producing and going over budget and not understanding the client's message or whatnot. So those smaller agencies um, and, and in-house corporate, in-house corporate is also extremely loyal. I mean, I know clients um, who've worked with brands for decades and they're very loyal. But I will say, yes, they are very loyal, but account managers change. So continue to do your marketing beyond that that golden goose because that goose could get cooked and now you don't have anything. So yes, it's great when you work for one brand and they keep you busy, but you gotta keep out, keep your marketing up because especially in today's world, people are just you know, that's why the databases can't be 100 percent accurate, because people are leaving jobs left and right um, and going to new places. So,
0: yeah, as it, a as a as a magazine editor, you know, if I went to a different publication, I often still relied on those photographers and those writers that I knew I could sort of rely on. So regardless of where I went, you know, when something came up, I usually went <laughs> I went to them. Uh, but in the, in the area where we're talking more advertising in commercial world, and you sort of touch on that, but you know, yeah, stay in touch with the person who you made the initial contact with because when they go to that new agency, it may create an opportunity for you, but you don't necessarily want to cut ties with the one agency that they were working with before. So when that kind of transition happens, what, does the photographer sort of need to do to not completely lose an opportunity with the with the former client?
1: What they need to do when they with the former client, are you saying that the former client has brought in new personnel that they're going to have to deal with?
0: Yeah, yeah. Because let's say they had a point person who, that they were working with, and that person goes to another agency. Right, They'll maintain right. that relationship with that person regardless of where the agency is. But the one where that person left
1: Right. Okay. So that that what how you how you should work with that is you should introduce yourself to the new person at that company, and welcome them. Be sincere in your welcoming. Not oh, I need a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, be, ser- be sincere in your welcoming, and then maybe even figure out a casual way to talk about all the great projects you had a chance to work on. And how you've really understood that that their brand that they're now working for. Because actually, that could help you because. They're coming into a new brand. So let's say, let's go back to the Levi's. Okay, so let's say someone worked for Levi's, which is a much broad scale consumer brand. And now that person's now in apparel, but they're at Wrangler and you've worked on Wrangler. Wrangler's a totally different, you know, it's a totally different product. Wrangler is a Western wear product. It's known for the cowboy. You have a complete cultural difference in that product, that brand than you had with Levi's so if you have someone who's come from Levi's into Wrangler and you are the person who was the photographer a lot for that brand you can actually figure out a way to actually not say that you oh I know everything you need to know but Mm -hmm. just kind of let them know that you understand this new brand that they are now working for
0: Now, one of the things you do is you actually serve as a consultant directly with photographers, helping them to sort of recreate their brand, their whole marketing strategy. I'd like you to sort of walk us through, hopefully with an example of a photographer who you work with. Say you you have an, an example of a photographer who was, you know, relatively successful. What do you try and sort of redefine in terms of their identity and their approach to either open up a market for them or allow them to sort of grow in a way that they may have stagnated uh, before?
1: So, okay. So I guess there's two sides to that. Okay. So one, um, a good example would be Sarah and Chris Rhodes, who were wedding photographers in Seattle and wanted to get into the advertising brand world. Okay. Get into advertising photography. So what, how could they take that experience of being wedding photographers to becoming lifestyle photographers and consulting with them to do that? And one of the things that in working with them is to come up with not only great scenarios to build their book that was also building scenarios that hadn't really been done yet, kind of collaborating with them in, in, in coming up with photo shoots. but also they had never worked with models before. So it was creating a treatment to the modeling agencies on so that the modeling agency and working you know with the models for free, so that you were getting money or getting images for their book, but that the modeling agency felt that you were at that level of sophistication and professionalism. So they were able to get a lot of really great talent to build their book. Um, then they also went to New York and did the same thing in New York with New York talent. Then they built a beautiful book, All of Lifestyle, and it was fresh. It was new. It was different. And. You know, I reached out to um, Bernstein and Julie and said, hey, what do you think of this people? And they loved them and they and they brought them in. And again, they had been wedding photographers and they boomed in the advertising world because that what they were doing was so fresh and different. One of the things with, with a couple like that is that you have to find a really great producer because to help them produce, and that's really important. For the photographer who has had a great career but the career has has fallen you have to kind of really reevaluate why your career was so great and what have you done to maybe meddle the message that people don't really see that great photography anymore so how do you make it more contemporary what was it that was so great about your work And not just in style or, you know, because trends change, but what is it about your work that that really rang to people to hire you? And a good example I can think of is, and I'm not going to use a name, but of someone who, when I worked with them, they had such a lovely innocence and almost bewilderment when they were photographing just life. And it was just such a it really took you back and just was like, gosh, I remember those days. And I, I remember talking to their rep and the reps, like, they're not working that much. And I went back and looked at their work and I was like, that wonderful tranquility and bewilderment and sensitivity is all gone. And it's like, I think that they maybe had just fully become an extension of all the art directors that they worked mm-hmm. for and forgot about who they were. And so that's when you really have to say, okay, wait a second, I have to be I have to get back to the core of who I am and I need to shoot what is fully about me and my being and who I am and not an extension of these other people's feelings, taste and their actual when you're shooting for a client, their agenda because their agenda is to get people to buy that product, whether it's apparel or whether it's insurance. Your agenda is to get sales up. So sometimes you lose that wonderful thread of who you were. So if you're not working and you used to be working, don't try and keep showing old work that used to be hits because it's now 10 years old recreate it with that soul of who you were to the soul you are now and get back to that what people loved
0: yeah i I can understand why there can be a struggle because you create a, a very personal body of work you get hired for that and then you get the demands of the client who's trying to you know who's hired you because they like your your vision but they have other criteria that they have to meet. And then as a photographer, being able to stay true to that sensibility and not compromise it to the extent that you lose the very thing that drew people to you in the first place.
1: But that's why you have to shoot for yourself and not solely for the client. Because again, um, what I always tell people and, and, and I've always found this when working with, you know, great talent is inevitably my client pulled the photographer back inevitably. I mean, I can tell you two phenomenally outrageously talented photographers, well-known. And my client said, make sure you wait. I need to see the patch. I need to see the patch on the back of the product. And I'm like, and it just, it choked the whole job. Hmm. So, so clients inevitably will hold you back because they're, again, they have the agenda of sales. So, If the client's going to hold you back, then get what they want in the bag. And if you're lucky enough to have enough time, then shoot what you want. And sometimes it's twofold. One, you shoot what you want and what you think would be great for that, that the client may have not thought about. Because the other thing you need to realize with account executives and with clients is the majority of them have MBAs, you know, Masters of Business Administration. That's all numbers. So they're number people. We are creative people. Number people and creative people don't see the same. And a client, many times, as you're explaining it to them verbally, they can't process it visually. So if you can actually then expedite it visually while you're still on set and they can see it visually, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, I see what you're talking about. That's exactly what I wanted. But, but by telling them they can't visualize, it's we're a different breed of person that we sometimes forget that that breed of person can't visualize. It's not in their wiring. They're, they're numbers people, and they can't visualize what we can see in our mind as being a, a beautiful scene. They're gonna go by what's important to their beautiful scene. Yeah.
0: As I mentioned before, you collaborate with photographers to help them sort of improve their marketing and their brand. So, and I have a, a, a two-part question. Okay. One is, you know, what one? What does the photographer need to be most willing to do in order to do the kind of work that you do with them to help improve their presence, their brand? And what do you often see as the greater greatest pushback by many photographers? What are they resistant to doing?
1: Okay. The first thing that they need to do in working with any consultant is to, um, one, be honest, tell the truth on why you're not working. Sometimes you have to face the truth on why you're not working. Be honest about um, that you need to do more shooting and how how can you um, execute new shooting if you don't have the money. Let's figure out ways to do that. The other, okay, so that's the thing that, so you know, to me, it's I, I'm not, as I say, I'm not the man behind the curtain. I don't have all the answers. You know, it's a collaboration. And if you have an image that you really love and and I, you ask me about it, I'm going to tell you why I don't like it or why I didn't select it. A lot of times, um, it's really interesting that I will pick up things that it's about the body language of that image and what that image says to me because i know standing next to all those art directors and creative directors for decades what they picked up on and it's really interesting the photographer oh my god i never saw that now i can't not see that and so so that's so that's one thing about how that the thing that the photographer has got to realize is that you have a personal connection to an image that you have to let go i don't know that person I don't know what happened on set. I I have heard many times when a photographer, I'll pick an image and they go, Oh God, I can't believe you picked that image. That was the worst situation. And I said, Okay, so it was a horrible situation. It was a horrible thing, but you got a great image about it. Now let it pay you back. Mm -hmm. Let that, you know, stop getting on all the negative about that, what happened that day. And let's get back to, okay, let's turn it around and make it a good, not a bad. And let's say, let's make this image pay you back in karma points. I've also been there where I, you know, people are personally connected to people. I mean, I've literally said, you know, I I know you like this shot of this woman, but, you know, she just looks mean. She looks like she could just be a really mean person. And I can't get past that. And of course, dead silence. And I go, that's your mother, isn't it? Yeah, it is and it's like okay that's your mom i'm sorry i've now insulted your mom but you have to understand you see your mother differently than i do and all the people that you're trying to sell this image of working with this person you're that's what they're going to only see that they're going to see this one millisecond in her life that you've captured when she could be a lovely carefree happy smiling person. But when you chose to shoot her, you chose her to be in a much starwart, very authoritarian place, that's what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing the mom that bakes cookies. I'm seeing the mom that's gonna get out the ruler and, and, and spank your tush. So don't get so personally connected to images. I'm Switzerland. I, I have no loyalty. <laughs> I have I, I'm Switzerland. I'm here to make the country go smooth. And that's what it is. And it's, and I'm also about sales. And if you're, you really want to shoot lifestyle photography, but all your apparel is either dated or just doesn't, it's just doesn't sell, then you're not going to be in apparel, you're not going to be in lifestyle apparel f- a photographer. You can use beautiful models, but if they aren't looking good in the product, how, how am I going to be able to sell my product if you can't shoot product? On, on
0: figure. That's great stuff. Um, my, my last question is a question I ask each guest and I ask them to recommend a photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who that one photographer be and why?
1: Gosh. Um, okay, for a long time, but the person really isn't in this business anymore, but this is the person that... Stole the campaign away from the the ringer, but is also such an incredible, lovely person as a person that I admire them for not only their talent, but who they are as a person and who they are is not just a person to me, but to most people they meet would be Nick Vitros.
0: Okay.
1: And that's V E D R O S. And he is out of Kansas City, Missouri. A lot of fun. He always has a pose that he does during every photo shoot. It's his his, uh, arms are on his hip and he's looking over to the side and it's very, you know, very thing. And he does that wherever he goes. Um, But he also is such a true, caring person that um, that's why the creative director went on a motorcycle ride with him, a long ride. They still are friends today. 12 years later, that creative director is no longer hiring photographers. They're still friends today. So that, I think, tells you, you know, why that. So that's the person who I I admire just as a, you know, just a... And he also would take mental notes about bands or movies that the people that he worked with liked. And if, let's say, The Shins came out with a new album, he would say, oh, guess what? They just came out with a new album. Hey, listen to this. So he really engaged in them as a person and I I just really admire that as someone new gosh I feel so fortunate I work with such great people gosh you know who I I was thinking about her today and that's Chris Davidson and it's Chris with a k K k-r-i-s Davidson d-a-v-i-d-s-o-n not the there's an artist, a sculptor who does. The, Chris is a photographer out of San Francisco and she's always pushing herself on personal projects. Something I really love about her. really, really just love. and she always has the most wonderful upbeat attitude when I talk to her. Always has a smile on her face and always is just such a appreciative, caring person. So I guess I would, she's going to laugh when I tell her this, but I would put her as someone who I really admire because she continues to push herself. And she also, one of the things I also love about her is that her father was from Sweden, I think. So while he is, lives in Texas and he's a physician there, she's always felt like an immigrant in a foreign country, our country. So she's always opened up her mind and her soul to experience all that is about this country that I think a lot of people don't do. Wow.
0: Those are two great recommendations. Thank you. And thank you for your time and your generosity oh, and your wisdom. And you. can't thank you enough.
1: Well, thank you so much for reaching out to me. I so appreciate it. I really do.
0: Each week, we have a segment on the show where I share thoughts, ideas, and memories that may or may not involve photography. We call it The Last Frame. When I began writing my latest book, Making Photographs, Developing a Personal Visual Workflow, I knew that I wanted to do more than produce yet another book about f-stops, shutter speeds, and technique. I wanted to produce a book that was a lot more personal. I wanted to share the thinking and the feelings behind my development as a photographer. And to do that, I not only needed to be thoughtful, but I had to be really honest about my choices, both good and bad. Because the good and bad and everything in between helped me to become the photographer that I am today. And one of the most important lessons I learned was how often I allowed my emotions to influence what I did or didn't do with the camera. As much as I love making photographs, it was sobering to admit how many times I allowed self-doubt, fear, and insecurity to stand between me and something that I love. When I was younger, and you'll likely relate to this, I often waited for inspiration to strike. And what that meant was that I, I waited to feel a certain way before I went out to make photographs. There were so many times when I sat on my couch or lay on my bed thinking about making photographs, but then decided not to. I'm just not feeling it, I thought to myself. So I stayed where I was and didn't do much of anything. If inspiration was looking for me, she obviously couldn't see me hunkered there underneath my comforter. But inspiration doesn't work that way. It doesn't strike you like a bolt of lightning. That's a myth. Instead, I found inspiration when I went out and made photographs even when I didn't feel like it. Regardless of whether I was tired, insecure, angry, or just meh, it was only when I made the decision to photograph despite my feelings that inspiration found me. The inspiration that leads to creativity for me is fueled only by one thing, action. It's getting up, and doing the thing that builds the momentum and opens me up to the possibilities that are out there. I can't think my way into creativity. And my feelings, well, they often stood in the way of the action. Had I spent my life waiting for inspiration to strike, I would have never written a book, much less sex. I never would have started a podcast. I never would have experienced the many joys associated with being a photographer. I would have missed out on so much, especially the many wonderful people that I've met as a result of wielding a camera. There are many days when I don't feel like doing something that I know I could and should be doing. Whether it's for my career or my health or just for the sheer pleasure of it, I have a choice each and every time. More often than not these days, I say yes to myself and I'm grateful for it. But. I'm human. And there are times when I don't take advantage of the time and allow it to pass me by. And and today I'm okay with that because I recognize that I say yes to myself more often than I say no. And there are just some days when I need to curl up on the couch, the dog at my feet, and enjoy binging some show on Netflix. The difference now between the person I am today and that younger self is I know exactly what I need to do when I want inspiration to pay me a visit. For proof of that, I just have to look behind me and see the many things that I've accomplished and know that there will be more ahead of me when I take the action and say yes instead of no. And that's the last frame. Thanks to Suzanne for sharing so much of her experience and wisdom with us. You can find out more about her and her work by visiting SuzanneCease.com and check out her regular column on aphotoeditor.com and i've also recently released two books the first is an ebook lessons from the street it's about some of the mistakes that i've made as a photographer and what i learned from them it's just seven dollars and you can purchase it directly from the website and the follow-up to my first book chasing the line is now available for purchase it's called making photographs developing a personal visual workflow and teaches you how to create better photographs more consistently i think it's a book that will change not only the way you make photographs but also the way you see you can order and download the ebook right now or place a pre-order for the softcover which comes out in december when you place your order from the rocky nook website use the promo code porelo 40 to receive 40 percent off the list price check out the website and the show notes for the link and once you've read it please write a review in the Amazon store, whether or not you purchase it from there. It's going to help me spread the word. And if you want to keep up with all things Candid Frame, sign up for our mailing list, and you'll receive three free copies of my previously published eBooks. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon, or you can make a one-time contribution via PayPal. You'll find the links for both in the show notes and the website. Thanks to David Silva and stall Prestoy, their recent contributions. i really appreciate it. And if you want easy access to every episode of The Candid Frame, download the free Candid Frame app. It's available for both Apple iOS and Android. Download it today. You'll find it where everything else is in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin MacLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at eBodyNX. And this is eBodyNX, and this is The Candid Frame.